Welcome to the Global River Church Discipleship Teaching of the Week. We hope you enjoy today's message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, visit globalriver.org. Okay, I just uh, want to start with uh, a prayer. <laughs> I need the Lord to help me. <laughs> oh, Lord. <laughs> We're here tonight. You brought forth some people, and we ask you to honor us, Lord Jesus, with your presence. Bring your spirit with us. Let everything that's said and done according to your will. Amen. Somebody who never feels anything, God is really here. (laughs) So thank you, Lord. Okay, I I looked, I read the book. Uh, Tonight I'm going to talk about Derek Prince. And I, I was reading the book last night, and I got it in my mind. Now you judge it whether this is from the Lord or not. But I got in my mind that Derek Prince is like the Apostle Paul of, the, of this generation. Now, that's, that's pretty good. <laughs> but uh, he was, an ex- as you'll find out today, he was extremely intelligent. Uh, he went to Eden College in London, which is the most prestigious. He, he, they look down on Cambridge. <laughs> they walk around in, in, in tuxes and suits and stuff like that, but they're, they're pretty... He was number one in the class every year. He was on the board of Eden College when he was 23 years old. And some of that will come up. But he was extremely intelligent. Uh, he went from being, not, being a, just a, a philosopher, enjoying reading the Bible, to said, well, this stuff's true. <laughs> and you'll see that tonight. You'll see he finally gets the... the realization that this stuff is true. Okay, now my slide presentation, go ahead and put that first slide up. I got about five slides, and then we'll do the video. Now, the, if you've never read this book right here, They Shall Expel Demons, that is an awesome book to read. If you have any question about deliverance, that book answers them. It's, uh, it, it goes down to the deepest questions that you have. And uh, for God's reason... Uh, Derek Prince is a expert <laughs> in this area. So nearly, let's go flip a slide and let's go to the next one. Nearly 2,000 years ago, Jesus came. I'm going to have to read this to you because I think it's important. Came to the help of suffering humanity, working miracles by the healing of the sick and the casting out the demons. Y'all agree that's what Jesus did? Throughout the three and a half years of his earthly ministers, this never changed. Okay, go next slide. Fundamentals. In the intervene, now this is true, in the intervening centuries, Christian men and women have been called from time to time with miraculous ministry to the sick and afflicted. Yet, as far as I know, there are few, if any, records of people with a ministry of casting out demons comparable to the ministry of Jesus. And as a result, most victims of demonic oppression have been left to suffer without any offer of practical help from the church. That, that's amazing. <laughs> I've, been to, uh, I've been a member of uh, about seven churches, I think, from the Methodist church to the Nazarene church to the 
uh, Baptist church to a lot of churches, but never once have I heard a message on demonic. And that may be the same with you guys. Does that mean Jesus did something that we don't have to do? Now, I, I talked to Nancy, Nancy yesterday. Nancy uh, live, is living down in Florida, and she used to be head of the intercessor, lead intercessor here at this church. And she asked me how you pray for, against demons. Here's a, here's a lady that's been in the church all her life and wasn't familiar with how to pray against demons. I want you all to know that you have authority to cast out demons. If you're a Christian, you have authority. Um, to show you how hard it can be, this one lady, and, and he talked about her in the book, she had MS. He cast out 2,000 demons. And she would, it came out, the demons came out in different parts of her body. Uh, the last one he, she cast out was in her hand and she could feel the thing. I don't know, don't ask me how it felt, I don't know. And when it left, she said, it's gone. <laughs> and she never had MS or diabetes after that time. So I'm not saying everything is demonic. But I do believe a lot more is demonic than what we know. I don't even know what a demon is. <laughs> Some people call it a fallen angel. That's, that's the most common. Okay. In the intervening centuries, Christian men and women have been called. Have I read that? All right, let's go to the next one. All right, the time has come, I believe, to clear away the rubble of religious tradition that has obscured the clear revelation of New Testament and to reestablish the church's ministry on the bedrock of Jesus and the Gospels. This is, this is what we need to do right now. Let's go ahead to the next slide. I think it's the last one. When a member of Derek Prince's congregation, he was just a little church uh, not very big. <laughs> Let out a blood-curdling shriek and collapsed just in front of his pulpit. He had to make a split-second decision. He called to others to help him, and in the name of Jesus, they succeeded in casting out the demon or the evil spirit. Now, he, he didn't know. He, he, he said, I'm not, he said, people call me a demon chaser. He said, I don't. I, I didn't want to be a demonic chaser. <laughs> he said, but I looked at the Bible, and that's what it says. Jesus cast out demons. And, even, and when people came back, the disciples were sent out. They said, even the demons recognize us, and they're cast out. So it's something that we don't do anymore. My mother, and I think I said this last week, my mother was a very good Christian lady, and she, I'd talk to her about demons <laughs> once in a while. And she said, you keep the demons away from me, I'll stay away from them. She's a pastor's wife. And I have, like I said, I've never heard a message on demonic. <laughs> it's just, in fact, most Christians are afraid of demons. Oh, yeah, except for here. <laughs> yeah, Pastor Tom is one of the few. And you've had people come from California, haven't you? They come here to this church because we handle demons. <laughs> when somebody in their church had the power to cast out demons. So it's not, you don't have to, uh, <laughs> it happened last month here in this church with me. 
uh, a lady came to me and said, her husband quit talking. He doesn't even know who I am. Must have had a stroke. That's all I can think of. But I just read the book, They Shall Expel Demons. And I said, wait a minute, maybe it's demonic. <laughs> so I said, I prayed for it for a couple of minutes. I just said, in the name of Jesus, I take authority over the spirit that hits his memory and keeps him from remembering. And I, asked, and I cast it out in Jesus' name. That's all I did. And I said, well, it's about 1230. Why don't you go home and ask your husband what happened at 1230? So she went home at 1230. Her husband said it was like roots came out of him. Like Jesus put, reached in and grabbed something and pulled it out of him. He knew exactly who she was. He was not, he was, uh, he's got other issues, but that issue was gone. <laughs> Isn't that something? And I tell you, it's not how long you pray. It's what you pray. <laughs> okay, the time has come. Uh, one more slide. I did that one? Yeah, wait a minute now. Okay, I did the time has come. All right, that experience in 1963 propelled him into intensive study of the ministry of Jesus. He wanted to be certain that his actions were in line with Jesus. Now, you'll see the interview. Uh, I've got an interview that I got from YouTube, and I was told that they're having trouble listening online because YouTube doesn't, uh, doesn't allow you to take it, take it off of there and, and hold, hold classes or whatever. But we'll see tonight. <laughs> So hopefully we'll be through with it beforehand. Now, the first one is a documentary. It's only 10 minutes long. It talks about Derek Prince and uh, his life and his ministry. Okay, let's go ahead and start that one. And then we'll do the, we'll do the 33 minutes interview. When people reflect on how God was at work in the 20th century, there'll be one name that's bound to feature prominently. Derek Prince. A humble man and a world-class Bible scholar, his steadfast commitment to God and obedience to the Holy Spirit turned him into one of the most loved and respected Bible teachers of his time. For over six decades, Derek Prince's life-changing Bible teaching became a source of inspiration to millions of Christians around the world. Derek Prince was born into a British military family in Bangalore, India in 1915. At the age of 14 he won a scholarship to Eton and, later on, a place at Cambridge. Having excelled in his studies, Derek was elected to a prestigious fellowship in ancient and modern philosophy at King's College, Cambridge, the youngest person ever to be elected to that position. Derek's academic career was interrupted abruptly by World War II. In 1940, on the basis of his philosophical convictions, 
he chose to join the Royal Army Medical Corps as a non-combatant. Despite declaring at the time that religion doesn't do much for me, Derek took a Bible with him to read on his postings, considering it to be a philosophical work. At first the Bible made little sense to him, but as he continued to read his Bible in an army barrack in Yorkshire in July 1941, God opened Derek's eyes. On that day, God taught him two crucial lessons that remained with him for the rest of his life. Recalling that supernatural experience, he says, I heard the voice of Jesus speaking very, very clearly through the scriptures, the Bible. And from the day that I heard his voice till this day, there are two things I've never doubted. I've never doubted that Jesus is alive, and I've never doubted that the Bible is the Word of God. Almost immediately after his powerful conversion, Derek Prince was shipped off to North Africa, where he spent three years serving as an army medic and being discipled in God's Word in the deserts of Egypt, Libya and the Sudan. At the end of the war, Derek was discharged in Jerusalem, where he met and married a Danish missionary, Lydia Christensen. In doing so, he became a father of eight girls whom Lydia had adopted. Derek and Lydia lived in Jerusalem until after the founding of the State of Israel in 1948. It was there he felt the calling to both serve and pray for God's people, the children of Israel. It was a calling he passed on to countless others. In late 1948, as the newborn state of Israel struggled for survival, the princes reluctantly left Jerusalem and moved to England, where Derek became a pastor of a small Pentecostal church in central London. As he ministered in London and later on in Kenya and in the United States, Derek sensed that all was not how it should be and could be in the lives of Christian believers. He saw how many Christians often struggle to rise above the challenges of everyday life. That's why he constantly encouraged those he ministered to, that they should get closer to God through Bible reading and prayer. In the early 1960s, while pastoring a church in Seattle, Washington, Derek was thrust into ministering God's deliverance after being confronted by a demonic manifestation right in front of his pulpit. As time went on, more and more people wanted to hear Derek Prince open up the scriptures to them and help them know more of the power of God. The ever-growing demand for Derek Prince's insights on audio and video cassettes as well as books led to the opening of the Derek Prince Publications Office in Fort Lauderdale, Florida in 1971. In 1975, Lydia died after nearly 30 years of fruitful marriage and ministry with Derek. The loss was devastating for Derek, but he began to work and travel more than ever. A couple of years later, while in Jerusalem, Derek prayed for a woman named Ruth Baker, who had seriously injured her back. Over time, the Lord revealed to Derek that he was to marry Ruth, whom he hardly knew. Following much prayer and testing, Derek and Ruth were married in 1978, and the Lord launched them into a new phase of ministry together. This new phase was marked by the launch of the first daily radio broadcast, Today with Derek Prince, which initially aired on eight stations in the United States. The word God gave to Derek about using radio for ministry was, proclaim short, simple messages, 
easily understood, declaring basic scriptural truths. Today, Derek's radio broadcasts, books and internet-based resources reach millions of Christians around the globe in over 100 languages. Derek and Ruth Prince continue to minister in many nations as the demand for Derek's teaching increased tremendously until Ruth passed away in December 1998. In the autumn of 2003, Derek Prince died in his beloved Jerusalem, his home for nearly 20 years. He was 88 and left behind a wonderful legacy. To those who had the privilege of knowing him, he left an inspiring example, one of yieldedness to God, love for the church, a heart for Israel, and a roaring passion to see God's people walk in the fullness of the freedom that Christ has purchased for them. To all of us, he left an invaluable treasure of biblical insights in books, articles, sermons, letters, and audiovisual recordings. Derek Prince is the author of more than 50 books, 600 audio and 100 video teaching messages, many of which have been translated and published in more than 100 languages. He pioneered teaching on such groundbreaking topics as generational curses, the biblical significance of Israel, and demonology. In 2002, he said, It is my desire, and I believe the Lord's desire, that this ministry continue the work which God has begun through me over 60 years ago, until Jesus returns. Today, Derek Prince Ministries continues to combat spiritual hunger by resourcing church leaders, Bible college graduates and millions of Christians in over 140 countries with Derek's life-changing Bible teaching, fulfilling the mandate to keep on until Jesus returns. This is accomplished through the outreaches of more than 45 Derek Prince offices around the world, including primary work in Australia, Canada, China, France, Germany, the Netherlands, New Zealand, Norway, Russia, South Africa, Switzerland, the United Kingdom and the United States. It's amazing to consider all that God has done thus far since speaking to Derek shortly after his conversion in 1941, saying, It shall be like a little stream. The little stream shall become a river. The river shall become a great river. The great river shall become a sea. The sea shall become a mighty ocean, and it shall be through thee. But how, thou must not know, thou canst not know, thou shalt not know. With millions of Christians worldwide still hungry for life-changing spiritual food, Derek Prince Ministries remains focused on the task of bringing this vision to full fruition. It's on. Okay, I, that'll kind of introduce you. Now, this will answer all your questions now. And, um, you know, I, I'm not trying to get out of work 
by putting his videos up. I just felt like they tell us very much what what is what is. So it's very he, it's very revealing to me. And, and let me encourage you: if you want to hear Derek Prince speak, go and just type. Go to Google and type Derek Prince. You can hit the sermons. You can hit everything. And he talks about the end of time. How you know? How do you think it's the end of time? Why do you think it's the end of time? It's not just about demons. It's about everything. So go go to Google and just say Derek Prince, and you you'll see. How many of you listen to Walter? A bunch of them. Yeah, I have too. <laughs> it's, it's just thirty different. I've listened to I've listened to him talk about everything, and uh, I encourage you all to do it. Now, this is an interview with uh, I think it's one of the TV programs. I can't think of the name of the man. Uh, this is go ahead and play the interview. The man. He was born in India of British parents. He was educated as a scholar of Greek and Y'all Latin at Eton is. College and Cambridge University. He is also has a fellowship in ancient and modern philosophy at King's College. Uh, he also studied Hebrew and Aramaic, both at Cambridge University. He studied Hebrew at the University of Jerusalem in Israel. And in addition, he speaks a number of other modern languages. And in his spare time, he's written about 40 books. He's here tonight. Please welcome a, a gentleman that I've admired for a long time, for a lot of years. Please welcome the author of Shaping History Through Prayer and Fasting, Mr. Derek Prince. God bless you, sir. Thank you for coming. Delighted to have you with us on the program. I remember hearing about you years and years ago. I remember the first time I ever heard you speak with that uh, quite proper British accent. And something happened to you while you were serving in the British Army and it changed your life. That's right. I was a professor of philosophy, called up into the forces, took my place in the British Medical Corps, which was really not my career. And uh, I decided I, I had to study something, so I took my Bible with me, or rather I bought a Bible and took it. Now you were not a Christian at this time. No, no. In fact, how did you feel about the whole concept of Christianity and God at well, that time? Well, I was a life? philosopher, so I thought this is one branch of philosophy, you know. So I thought, well, while I've only got one little bag I can carry things around, now I buy a Bible and read it through from beginning to end, because then I can pronounce on Christianity. Well, I bought a Bible. The first night in the army, I started to read it, and I never anticipated. I became very conspicuous because people don't normally sit down on the bed and read the Bible in the British Army. <laughs> so I, I, I couldn't understand the book, but I said, no book's going to beat me. I'll read it through to the end. Well, after about nine months, I was in the middle of the book of Job, and Jesus revealed himself to me very directly, powerfully, personally and totally changed my whole life overnight. Well, I mean, uh, <clears throat> most of us don't have those kind of revelation. What do you mean he revealed himself to you? Well, I mixed with some people called Pentecostal. I'd never heard about them. I didn't know they existed, but they, they used strange language, which I didn't <laughs> understand. So one night I said, I'm going to pray until something happens. And I had no idea what I would expect to happen. Well, I, I prayed a long while and nothing was happening. Why did you decide to pray? I mean, what was it? You're a philosopher and you're reading the, this dusty old book. <clears throat> Why would you suddenly decide to pray? Well, I, 
felt there's something there that I don't have that these people have. So I prayed, and for an hour, all I did was sit on a stool and put my elbows on the window sill and try to pray, and I couldn't pray. And then something began to happen to me. My arms started to go up in the air, my head went up, and I got frightened. I thought, you know, I don't know what's going to happen next. And then I said to myself, if I go any further back, I'll fall off the stool. <laughs> and I did. And I still had my arms up in the air, and I was saying to the Lord, more and more, more and more and more. And he took me very seriously. He just changed me totally. I'd read in, in Genesis about Jacob wrestling with an angel. And he said to the angel, unless you bless me, I won't let you go. And I found myself saying to this unknown person, unless you bless me, I won't let you go. And when I got to that, I got more and more determined. I said, I won't let you go. I won't let you go. I won't let you go. And then the power of God came all over me. And I ended up on my back on the floor. Well, there was another soldier sleeping in the same room, a friend of mine, fortunately. And I lay there sobbing for about an hour. And then my sobs turn, turned to laughter. And this, this was outside my whole idea of philosophy. And I began to laugh very softly, and then I laughed louder and louder. And I thought to myself, what will happen when somebody comes in and finds me in my underwear on the floor with my arms in the air laughing? Isn't that just like God to take a proper British philosopher, throw him on the floor in his underwear and tickle him? <laughs> So the only person who woke up was the other soldier. And I can remember looking over the top of my head. He reluctantly got out from his mattress and walked slowly towards me, rubbing his hands and saying, I don't know what to do with you. I suppose it's no good throwing water on me. And my something inside me said, even water wouldn't put this on. So I had this life-changing experience. Next morning when I woke up, I was a totally different person. The previous night, I didn't know how to pray. The next morning, I couldn't stop praying. Wow. And everything in my life changed from that point on. You know, there are philosophers watching this program. There are people who are extremely well-educated who tune in every now and then. And one of the things they think is that Christians are crazy. They are people who lack you know, intellectual prowess, they have no educational backgrounds, and, and they really are looking for a crutch to get them through life. Yeah, well, I had a educational background. I mean, I had the best education that Britain had to offer. I was a scholar of Eton, that's the most prestigious school where Prince Charles is just graduating from. And then I was a scholar of King's College, Cambridge. And at the age of 24, I was elected to the governing body of King's College, Cambridge, which is, was high, as high as I could climb in that time. Then I got plunged into the army and it was all spoiled. <laughs> and then you met Jesus Christ. That's right. And two things came out of that. The one, I guess, what were the two things that came out of that? Well, my whole purpose for living was completely changed. I just wanted to know God better and serve Him. And then God, very specifically, a little while later, called me to be a teacher of the Scriptures in truth and faith and love which are in Christ Jesus for many. And that's been my life ever since.
knowing that Jesus is real and the Bible is true. That's right, and being able to communicate it. God has given me an ability to communicate, and I've dedicated it to the Lord. And as I think you, you know, I've got about 40 books I've written in my spare time. <laughs> and uh, my radio program is heard in at least 15 different languages. Some of my books are translated into more than 60 languages. And uh, we now have Derek Prince ministry offices in 15 different nations. I have never tried to do it. It just came out of my doing what God told me to do. Which was teach the Word of God. That's right. If you have, you know, there are people who have prophetic uh, emphasis in their ministries. Others have uh, miraculous ministries like Benny Hinn and others have various kinds. Would you say that there is a particular uh, thrust in your teaching? Is there a particular heart throb that God's given you? For well, the army transferred me to the land of Israel. And when I was there, God gave me a supernatural love for the Jewish people. And so I have focused at times on God's plan for Israel. And God's plan for Israel is central to the whole Bible. Any Christian who doesn't know what God is doing with Israel is half in the dark because that's the key to understanding prophecy. It's the key to understanding what God is doing in the world today. In 1948, on the 14th of May, I was living in the center of Jerusalem when the state of Israel was born. Wow. One of the most dramatic experiences in my life. And uh, I, I just thank God that he, I'm not Jewish. He opened my eyes to see his special place and plan for the Jewish people. How do you respond to those people who say that modern day Israel is not uh, God's Israel or the Israel of the Bible? Yeah, well, I think they're mistaken because God said he would restore Israel, but in unbelief. Some people have the attitude, well, if the Jewish people really believed in Jesus, then God would restore them. But God is working the other way around. You see, God deals with Israel as a nation, and they were scattered to more than 100 nations. And now, by a miracle as great as the Exodus, They've been gathered individually from at least 100 nations. And God is going to deal with them as a nation in their own land. The prophet Hosea says, in the place where it was said to them, you are not my people, there it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. So God is bringing them back, mostly in unbelief, in order to deal with them there. So you believe that this exodus in reverse that we're seeing people getting migrating back to Israel is all part of God's last day plan? It's as much a miracle as the exodus from Egypt. It's a different kind of miracle. You think of all the pressures that have been put on the Jewish people to assimilate. Persecution, threats of death, every kind of pressure. And at the end of 2,000 years, they're still Jews. My first wife was Danish and she loved the Jewish people. And she said to me, Derek, if you scattered the Jews among the nations and came back for after 200 years, you wouldn't find the Danes among the nations. You wouldn't find a single Dane anywhere. They'd all be assimilated. And the Jews have been scattered for 2,000 years. They've never been assimilated. In spite of tremendous pressure, even threats of death, it's a miracle. It's a different miracle from the first exodus. It's just as great a miracle. But it's the prelude to what God is going to do 
in the next few years. Which is? He's going to change the heart of the Jewish people. Paul likened that to the resurrection from the dead. Exactly, yeah. That's right, that's what it is. And Do you see any uh, evidences of that, any inklings of... Oh yes, when I first went to Jerusalem in 1942, you could hardly find a Jewish believer anywhere in the city. Today in Israel there are at least 7,000 Jews who believe that Jesus is the Messiah. Wow, that's more. Right there in Jerusalem. Whoa! That. Ah, well, we could, we could talk about that all night, but we've got so many things I want to ask you about. I just uh, were, was fortunate enough to get a copy of your book, Husbands and Fathers, and, and, and that is a powerful book about men, husbands right. and fathers. Yeah. And unfortunately, that's one of the problems that we're facing in American society, particularly in American society, the absentee father. That's right. It's not one of the problems. It is the problem. It's the root of all the other problems. It's the root of the breakdown of the family, and the breakdown of the family is the root of all other social problems that we are encountering in America today. Now you realize that's a very politically incorrect statement. That's right, I'm politically incorrect. <laughs> so, so, you really, so you believe that the problems that we're facing in society at large really have their basis, their basis, the foundational premise is the absentee father. Why? Well, it's the breakup of the family. The breakup of the family. But that, the father is the one responsible for the family. And so when he fails, usually the mother steps in, God bless her, and tries to take over. But she wasn't made to be a man. And so the whole family becomes dysfunctional. And the children very often become rebellious. They're very disillusioned. They've seen their parents divorce. They don't believe in marriage. They've looked at the church and say it isn't doing what Jesus did. So we have a generation of disillusioned young people on our hands. And I'd do anything I could to reach them with the truth. In fact, God has given me the privilege. I've been invited to be the opening speaker at a meeting that's going to be held in Washington, D.C. on 2nd of September called The Call which is calling young Christian Americans to Washington, D.C. for a day of prayer and fasting on behalf of the nation. Nothing political. Absolutely. No N politics. No agendas. We'll even pray for President Clinton. Just <laughs> prayer and fasting, <laughs> including prayer for the president. Yeah. Well, we have to. The Bible says pray for all in authority. One of the problems in America is that American Christians haven't prayed for their government the way they should. Well, we're so mad at it sometimes. That's we right, get so mad at the government. But we shouldn't. We should be praying for that. That's government. right. You can be Some mad people at say it's our fault that the government is like right. this. Partly. It's, it's a major cause. Paul says that first of all, intercession, prayer, and supplication be made for kings and all in authority. That's the first item on the prayer list of the church. Read my book. <laughs> this one. Prayer right. and Fasting. Yeah. Change. Th this book must be 20 years old. It is, at least. 
And you're saying it's at the forefront of a major move, 400,000 young people coming to... I believe it'll be more than 400,000. I believe revival is coming to America. Amen. Christians can change the world through these, you're yeah. saying, in this. Within limits. I mean, God has got certain limits beyond which we can't go, but within those limits, we have a lot of choices. And uh, we need to exercise them. I, I love the American people. I'm an American citizen by choice. And American people have been so good to me, but I tell them, listen, I've never lived in a nation where Christians criticize their government the way the American Christians do. Why don't you pray instead of criticizing? Well, I guess we all have to plead guilty to that. <laughs> but it's a lot easier to criticize than it is to pray. That's right, I agree. But the, the easiest route doesn't get us to the place you want to be. How does one go about, I mean, praying? For, how do you pray for the government? I mean, do you pray, Lord, get them Democrats out of there and get some Republicans in there, or...? <laughs> no. <laughs> I pray really for the fear of the Lord to come upon this nation. A wholesome fear and respect for the Lord. After all, America was conceived in faith in the Bible, the Lord Jesus, and God. I mean, that's a historical fact. Unfortunately, for various reasons I don't need to go into, many of the educational institutions today downplay the influence of the Bible in this land. I was actually invited to go to, where is it? You know, the pilgrims? I mean, you have to know, for the British, the pilgrims are dropouts. I mean, they <laughs> just sail westward and disappear. But I was asked to go to Plymouth, Plymouth, Massachusetts, and celebrate the 250th anniversary of the landing of the pilgrims. Well, I thought, that's wonderful. I don't know anything about them. So that's how that book got written. I decided to find out. The more I found out about the pilgrims, the more I respected them. I envisaged them as a rather doddery old man with gray hair. I discovered most of them were under 30. They were keen, lively intellects. They had a good educational background, and they were people with real commitment. And I say to you, dear American people, discover your roots. Well, you would have to be kind of young and vigorous to take off one of those little bitty boats and that's sail right, across the ocean right. back in those days. I mean, they didn't have to have the Queen Mary with that's all right. the staterooms. Absolutely. I mean, you had to be a pretty vigorous guy to yeah. dumped on the shores here. Yeah. I mean, this was, I mean, this was worse than Florida. I mean, this whole place was a, was a jungle back in those days. Yeah. Totally, you know, practically a forest. Yeah. And now let me ask you this, because just recently the Supreme Court, in fact, just today, um, or yesterday, they passed, uh, the Supreme Court ruled that prayer could no longer be used by students. Student-led prayer could not be utilized any longer at athletic events. Well, shame, Unconstitutional. On, shame on them. Right. Separation of church and state. That's ridiculous. That wasn't in the mind of the people who devised separation of church. That's why we criticize the government. See, that's <laughs> well, you're free to criticize, provided you pray. Pray for, pray after you criticize, then pray. Yeah. But, but that really wasn't in the mind of the no, founding fathers. No, they didn't think that way at all. They were saying... And think of justifying pornography on the basis of the right of freedom to speech. I mean, it's a total perversion of the whole 
purpose of that provision. It really is. I mean, they, they say that you have the right to speak filth, but you can't pray. That's right. Something is upside down somewhere. Right. Well, there are very evil forces that are trying to destroy America, but I don't believe they're going to succeed. Well, I sure applaud that. I hope that. Now, you didn't talk about this, and we didn't talk about this, but I saw on one of the 40 books that you'd written, one of the gentlemen upstairs had it, it was, it was about casting out demons. Or, now, when you talk about very evil forces, are you talking about demonic forces or demonic Well, powers? demons are the small change in Satan's kingdom. They're the infantry. There are all sorts of other higher beings, angelic beings, fallen angels, rebellious angels. But you have to learn to deal with demons because they're the, the way that Satan approaches most people. And I, I mean, I've got plunged into this. I had no intention of giving, becoming a demon chaser, but I'm glad I am. <laughs> <laughs> How did that happen? I, mean, I must ask you. How well, did that happen? I encountered people with tremendous problems for whom I could find no other explanation. And I started to deal with a dear woman who was the secretary of a Baptist church and had eight demons in her. I mean, she was a good American housewife. Well, I, I, I can't go into all the details, but these demons confronted me. They challenged me. I commanded them to come out. They said, we're not coming out. When the first one came out, it said, even if I come out, my brothers are here and they'll kill her. And eight different demons, and I, there are several witnesses to this, eight different demons came out. The last one was the spirit of death. And when that came out, she was stretched out on the floor on her back. Her face was colorless and her skin was cold and clammy. And she looked exactly like a dead person. She lay there for about 10 minutes, put her arms up in the air and started to praise the Lord in tongues. Wow. Now. At one point, that was really popular. They even had, you know, demon ministries, people chasing demons around. But that's kind of drifted off into, you know, now we're into, you know, prosperity and everything is rosy and that sort of thing. But we're still just as much at risk to satanic wiles as we were before. Yes. Millions of people in the United States. You know, I spent a lot of time in Africa and other countries. So people say, well, of course, in Africa they have demons. I tell people I've encountered just as many demons in the United States as I ever encountered in Africa. Get out of here! We don't have demons in America! <laughs> <laughs> That's what you think. <laughs> I mean, I didn't get into this subject to be popular, but when I get hold of a truth, I'm not going to give it up. I mean, and I've seen, I can say, thousands of people wonderfully delivered from demonic oppression. I'm not going to stop. Can a Christian have a demon? Definitely. Can a Christian be demon-possessed? No. That's the problem. The phrase demon-possessed isn't in the Bible. It's a translation that should never have been used. And what shocks me is the NIV, which is a good modern translation. When it comes to that word, it says demon-possessed. The Greek word is very simple. It's a demonized. It's exactly what it is in Greek. Anybody can be demonized, but they're not possessed by the devil. Jesus owns them, but there are areas in their personalities where the Holy Spirit is not in control. So you can have a demon. Yeah, well, I, it's not something I'm ambitious to no, do. No, I understand that. 
But can you, how do you get rid of it? Do you have to find an exorcist or is there ways well, that... Well, you can read, 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 read my book. <laughs> <laughs> I wrote the book because I couldn't tell the thousands of people that wanted to know all individually. So I've got a very vivid description of what it's like to have need deliverance from demons, the conditions you have to meet, and the prayer you have to pray. We've got the copy of that book. Give me, give me get, let me get a copy of that book. He's got the book. I want to show it on the camera so when people go into Christian bookstores, they can find it. And uh, give it to that lady right there. She's got it. And she'll bring it up here. I want to show this. This is the book we've been talking about. Yeah, just come on up here. And we'll just show it right here. There you go. Hey, little live television here. This is, they shall expel demons. What you know, need to know about demons, your invisible enemies. This is not on the show tonight. This was not scheduled to be on this program. But uh, that just kind of popped. But up. you had it on your show a little while back. You know that. Ah, there it is right there. You can find this in Christian bookstores all yes, around, all around America. the country. They shall expel demons. That's the same as cast out demons. Right? I use the word expel because it's not religious. Yeah, and there was, if you inhale something you don't want it, you expel it. Well, that's the same with demons. Don't let get in this mysterious religious atmosphere. It's not real. Outstanding. Uh, way to go. Let me ask you this. Um, you talking about how much time you spend in America. You've got offices in 15 countries, and you're kind of an international world traveler. Are you going to continue your overseas missions? Are you going to broaden that, expand that, or are you going to spend more time in America? Well, this summer I'm committed to be in six or seven different nations. One of the most exciting, I mean, it really excites me, is I'm scheduled in the second week in May to speak to 1,000 Iranian Christians in Holland. They're all exiles from their own nation because of their faith. But I want to tell you something is going to explode in Iran. Wow. And in the Middle East. That, are we getting close to that time? I don't know how close, but I hope I'll live to see it. I'm 85, so I mean, give me another five years. <laughs> five years? Well, I'm not, that's not a prediction, that's just... Absolutely. But I have so much more to do. I tell the Lord, don't take me home till I've done my job. Well, he's not. I mean, he gave you this job to do. He's not going to That's right. you well, in the middle of it. I think we have to cooperate with the Lord. We have to learn to live healthy lives. America. <laughs> uh, are you talking about the way we eat here, doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't leave it out. <laughs> We're not going to discuss that topic. Demons we can cast up, we leave in mashed potatoes alone. <laughs> <laughs> is there, I mean, has God given you a current, I mean, something really burning on your heart for like right now for America, or for the church, or for the world? Yes. It's care for orphans, widows, the poor, and the oppressed. I mean, I am the head of an adopted family of 150 persons. I have eight, uh, 12 adopted children. so. It's not that I'm lacking things to do, but I have seen out of Scripture, right through the Bible, righteousness, practical righteousness, is caring for orphans, widows, the poor, and the oppressed. And the problem with us Pentecostals is we're so afraid of a religion of works 
that we have a religion that doesn't work. Mm. So what James talked about, true religion and undefiled before God and the Father, has to do with widows and orphans. Absolutely. And listen, I've been Pentecostal for 60 years, and I've heard all sorts of sermons. I've never heard a Pentecostal sermon challenging us to care for orphans and widows. Not one. Wow. Except ones I've preached myself. Wow. Well, we're so afraid of, we're not, saved, we're not saved by works. This is not a religion of works. But I want to tell you, the faith that saves us works. If yeah. we've got a faith that doesn't work, it doesn't save. Wow. <laughs> so the most significant message that you say that God has given you for today is widows and orphans and the oppressed? Yeah, I mean, I've, I'm passionate about it and especially single mothers. I don't believe the church is fulfilling its obligation to single mothers. So they should? They should love them, practically. Take care of their children. Now are you talking Christian welfare or are you talking something different? Uh, Christian welfare is all right. I'm talking about just really loving people and doing something to show your love. I think it'd be much more effective if it wasn't all done through institutions. People don't need a program, they don't need an institution, they need a person, somebody to show them love. Wow. What did you, you, you I, mean, I had to go back to this, but you mentioned the term in your book, renegade man. Yeah. What did you mean by that phrase? Because that has to do with men who failed in their two primary responsibilities. Number one as husbands and number two is father. And they've run off and done all sorts of other things. They've become bank presidents and golf champions and I don't know what else, but they have failed to do the two things for which they're going to have to answer God. Which is one of the reasons we have these single parents in many that's cases. That's right. Well, that's more than one reason. And I mean, women have some of the responsibility too. But there is the solution. Solution is in sim one simple word, love. And if God we is, really love people, we'll do the right thing. Wow. God is love, isn't he? That's right. What's next for Derek Prince? Any exciting assignments that God's given you for? Well, there's this assignment to preach the Iranians, and then I'm going to Benin in West Africa to a French-speaking conference because I want my videos and tapes in, translated into French. And then the really exciting thing is the call to be, to have the privilege of in some way addressing, I think there'll be half a million wow. young people there. Oh, pray it's a million. My goodness. Uh, amen. Uh, I mean, I, I'm just, I'm overwhelmed by God's grace that he's given me these tasks. You mentioned a moment or two ago that you were 85 and you're looking forward to seeing maybe hopefully the Lord will come back before you, he translates you out of here. No, I don't think that. I think I'll, he'll take me before he comes back. So are you going to retire? Are you saying Derek Prince is retired? I've never read about any servant of the Lord in the Bible who retired. <laughs> You make it so simple. That's what I'm here for, to 
to make it simple. My whole understanding is if I can't say it simply, it's because I don't understand it clearly. And I work at it until I do. You know, I was a friend of Corrie ten Boom, you know her little yes. phrase. Kiss, K-I-S-S, -S, keep, it, keep simple, it simple, saint. stupid. <laughs> <laughs> we call them saints. We don't <laughs> keep it simple, saint. Yeah. But that's just exactly what's needed. Dr. Prince, it has been a real pleasure seeing you and talking to you and hearing what God's doing and has done over the years. I mean, if you could look back and say there's one thing that I most appreciate that God's given me the opportunity to do, I don't want to use the word pride, but if there's one thing you could say, I get the most joy out of knowing that God's given me the privilege of doing this life. Can you put a finger on something? Well, I would say God has given me two wonderful wives. Not at the same time. <laughs> Thank you for clearing that up. <laughs> One after the other. And I'm just so grateful to God. Uh, I mean, I treasure the memory of each of my wives. I remember the first one when she passed. That we were, yeah. I remember that one. Yeah. And then you're, but I didn't know your second wife had just yes, recently passed. At the end of 1998. Wow. Mm. Hard experience. Yes, it is. But the Lord carried me through. Well, you have certainly been a blessing to the church at large and made an impact on literally the nation, shaping history. You had your part in shaping history Thank through you. prayer and fasting. Thank it's you. been a real pleasure. Thank you for being God with us God bless you. What I've a pleasure. God it. bless you, Thank sir. You. Dr. Barry Prince. He, uh, he died when he was 88. Yeah, in 2000, that interview was in the year 2000. 88. 80, he was 88 when he died. His first wife was, was six months younger than his mother. She had eight children. She, yeah, they were adopted, all of them. And uh, he took them on. <laughs> I've heard, I've heard that. Their testimonies, you, you go to YouTube and you can, I'm like Walter, I, I've done it. I've listened to him over and over again in different, different uh, messages. But he talks about the eight kids. And, uh, the, and the eight kids, a couple of them, they rounded up and put a microphone in front of them and said, ask them questions about what happened. They were in 1948, I think, that's when Israel became a nation. Um, they lived right next door to an Arab who was going to kill them. The eight kids and the mother. And he was uh, praying to God, help me get out of here. <laughs> and he left one day before they came up to kill him. And God uh, sent him somewhere, I don't know, it was Tel Aviv or something, and uh, they found a house through miraculous means, and all eight kids and the mother stayed right there, and then they finally got shipped to America. I don't know all the the uh, things that happened to him, but uh, I don't know anybody. He is he does have a simple message. Just just listen to him preach. It's very simple. Uh, this, but he, he's very open what God does and uh, he's got a, a bullheadedness I call it that he was if, if the devil's winning he's gonna he's gonna beat the devil 
that's the way he feels. He just feels like uh, the devil shouldn't be winning. And we do have the power. And I think, I think uh, with demonic, it's, uh, we'll go back to demons again. They make you afraid. I used Jen, Jen sitting there. She, she was gone for a week. And uh, you hear a noise in the, in the house and you wonder. My mother always jumped at noises. Every time something made noise, she'd jump at it and say, what was that, you know? But I, I said this time, I, and, and when I'm alone in the house, I said, Lord, that, that's noise. I don't know what it is, but you know, and you're protecting me. <laughs> and and we, that's what we have to do. We, just, we cannot be afraid. Just remember, you're doing what God wants you to do. And what's coming at you is what God wants to come at you. He's in charge. I don't know, like uh, Derek Prince says, you don't know why he does things. We don't know why, why he does things. Okay, yeah, Pastor Tom. I'm thinking that, I'm thinking that the, um, it was around 2000 that that interview, so he died at 88, and he was 85, and his wife had died a couple of years earlier. Um, in, so 25 years prior to that interview, he gave a prophecy. He was in actually in Jacksonville, North Carolina. He came in. It was the first major um, black-white gathering together with 1,200 people that were in the uh, Deliverance Church in Jacksonville, North Carolina. The reason we, we knew about all that when it was probably now, I want to go back, I think it's about 15 years ago, uh, Pastor Willie and I decided to we needed to do some all-night prayer. So we, started, we, we put out the word, we're going to gather intercessors, anybody who wants to come from the city, we're going to start praying on a Friday night, and we'll pray until around 6 a.m. And so the first night we got together, there were about 200 people showed up, multiple churches, there were, I think, seven or eight pastors that were there, lots of intercessors. I was surprised by the turnout, actually. And um, this man sitting right where about Chris was came up, and he says, are you aware about what you're doing here? You guys are praying for revival. Do you realize that Derek Prince had a prophecy about what you're doing? I said, I have no idea. Derek Prince, you know. <laughs> and uh, he pulled out a piece of paper and he said, in 1975 at the Deliverance Tabernacle in Jacksonville, North Carolina, Derek Prince had flown in and he preached out of Zephaniah 2. If you want to turn there, it's an interesting scripture because it was confirmed three months later by Dr. Woodhouse, who was the uh, full gospel businessman fellowship who was invited to come and they both preached out of this same scripture and um, the reason it was interesting is because I think it's been somewhat fulfilled Derek I, I've never preached out of Zephaniah I don't well maybe once but out of Zephaniah it was in Zephaniah 2 uh, Derek Prince opened and he said that the prophecy he gave was that eastern North Carolina God had found favor with eastern southeastern North Carolina and that he was going to pour out a revival in North Carolina that would be a, similar to the Welsh revival. In fact, it would eclipse it, and that kings and queens would come and study that revival, and that the phenomenon, the, the phenomenon of that revival would go around the world. And so that was a prophecy spoken by Derek, and in the meeting that night, I said, was anybody, as he handed me this piece of paper, talked about this prophecy, I said, was there anybody in that meeting and uh, 
Nancy Smith, who was one of our key intercessors, and there were six others. I, I call them the gray hairs. Now I am. But they were in that meeting in 1975. So I had them, all six of them. I said, I want to invite all the pastors and all the key intercessors up here. And I want these six that were in that meeting. When that word was spoken, I want you to lay hands on us, which they did. And so the rest of the story went on that um, three months later, the way that was confirmed, Dr. Woodhouse from Full Gospel Businessman, I'd, I've never met him, but he was invited to come somewhere from, I think, the Northeast, and he was flying in to speak at the Full Gospel Businessmen's Fellowship. And several of the men who were in that meeting I know of and gave me this testimony, they said, he said, he asked the Lord, Dr. Woodhouse asked the Lord for several weeks prior to the meeting, what's the message you want me to give to the men? And he didn't get a message. And he was like, well, God, I, what's the message? And he got no message. And as the plane was banking over southeastern North Carolina, he was looking out the window, and he heard in his spirit, God has found favor over southeastern North Carolina. And he said, well, God, you haven't given me a message, so what I'm going to do, I'm just going to flip open the Bible, point, and I'm going to preach out of that message. And he opened to Zephaniah chapter 2, the same scriptures. And so when he preached that message to the full gospel businessmen, some of the men who were in Derek's ministry meeting that a couple of months before came forward and said, did you realize that Derek Prince said the same thing you said and preached that? He goes, no, I didn't know that. And so in that scripture, it was out of Zephaniah 2 and verse 6. It says, the seacoast shall be dwellings and cottages for shepherds and folds for flocks. And the coast shall be for the remnant of the house of Judah, and they shall feed thereon. And the house of Ashkelon, they shall lie down in the evening for the Lord their God shall visit them and turn away their captivity. And so we got real excited. We, we went for, I don't know, several years just praying on different nights, praying into that. Um, the reason I think this got fulfilled, it was six years ago now. Um, we had made a trip into Israel. We had actually done um, uh, Neil Blake came to me one 2007 now. Let's see. He came that first trip into Israel. He said, I want to take worship teams to the Mount of Olives and worship on the Mount of Olives. Well, we went to Israel multiple times, came back, made connections with them. So about five years ago now, there was a, a, a businessman, an author who owned an IT company in Tel Aviv, um, Gil Olochevich. And he had never been in a Christian church, and he wanted to come and sell us a Bible software thing for interactive. And he had hired a pastor friend of ours that Neil knows out of, out of Israel to do the, the New Testament. And he and his rabbi were doing the Old Testament. And so they flew in, and they called me up and said, listen, we would like to come. And uh, my pastor friend said, I'm going to bring this Orthodox Jew. He's not really Orthodox, but he's, he's a conservative Jew. And he's never been in a Christian church, and he's, we've set up like 25 meetings. He's hired me to do the New Testament, and we've set up 25 meetings in Christian churches to sell the software. And you're the first church I want him to come to. I said, oh, well, that, that'd be great. Well, I forgot to write it down. And um, the same day that our youth group came back from Youth Power Invasion from Brazil with Randy Clark, that Saturday night, I get a call from my pastor friend. He says, we're in America. We'll be at your church tomorrow. And I said, oh, my goodness. No, that's not a good idea. Our youth are going to run the service, 
and they're just getting back from Brazil. We're kind of out there, but we're going to be really out there. I don't think that's a good first impression for a Jewish guy that's conservative. He goes, oh, that'll be just great. We'll be there. I said, all right, I'm not responsible, <laughs> you know. Anyway, well, Gil sat right here next to Neil Blake and um, David Decker, from our pastor friend from Israel. Unbeknownst to me, Gil had been riding his bicycle in Tel Aviv a few, moments, a few months before and was hit by a car, and it broke his left knee and it broke his left shoulder. And he'd had surgery, multiple surgeries to try to fix everything, but he still um, had great pain in his knee and pain in his shoulder. Complaining on the plane all the way from Israel that he couldn't raise his arm and he couldn't get comfortable and he was... Anyway, he gets here, he walks into our prayer room for pre-service prayer, and he's taking pictures and sending it to his rabbi, because we had a talik there, we had um, the, the, Bible, the prayer cloth, we had uh, a picture of the menorah, and he's like, these guys have more pictures than we do. <laughs> you know? And so he gets in, he sits down there, and one of our 12-year-olds who had uh, seen a bunch of miracles in Israel was sharing and got up and said, I have a word of knowledge right now. And he said, there's, there's someone here, I believe you've got pain in your left shoulder. If you'll raise your arm, God will heal you right now. So Gil turns over and looks at David, Pastor David, and, and Neil, and he's, he goes, okay, I guess that's what you do in a Christian church. So he raises his arm, it unlocks, and he's healed in his left shoulder. And so he's not an expressive kind of guy, but he's like, I have no pain now, and I have full range of motion. And so he doesn't say anything, but he turns to David. And, he, and so he gets up to tell, tell us about Bible Islands and to sell us the software. But he goes, um, in a, kind of a broken English, he's quite capable of speaking, but he said, uh, I just got healed. And he's pretty excited, calls his rabbi, calls his wife, and he goes to 30 different churches and um, he said, Neil had told him, if you want to keep your healing, you've got to tell everybody where you go that you've been healed. So he goes everywhere. He, I mean, he goes everywhere. He's telling his rabbi, his, his wife doesn't know what to do, like he's gotten healed in this Christian church. And, so, and, so, and it was by a child. It wasn't by any big shot pastor or anything like that, right? And so the, the story gets even better. As six months later, he comes back to, he's back in the U.S., and he wants to sell us version two of the Bible Islands. And he calls me up, David Decker calls me up, my pastor friend. He says, Gil's back and wants to come. And, you know, we're going to honestly want to sell you the next version of Bible Islands. And I said, well, okay, but here's the deal. If you come, we'll listen, but he's got to give his testimony about his healing in his shoulder to the whole church. So he goes, done. So they come Sunday morning. We had just finished training our um, middle school children on how to lay hands on the sick and they'll be recovered, right? Because there's no little Holy Spirit, right? So we trained them that you need to be able to lay hands on the sick. And so we just finished the class like the week before. So we get there and the day before Gil gets here, that Saturday, one of our young adults was out and about and he entered into um, one of the thrift stores and there was a lady in a wheelchair and he gets out to his car and he, the Holy Spirit says, why didn't you pray for the woman in the wheelchair? He goes, yes, Lord. So he gets up, goes in, he finds the lady in the wheelchair and says, God just sent me in here to pray for you. Can I pray for you? And he was very bold. Um, he prays for her and he commands her to get out of the wheelchair. She gets out of the wheelchair. 
and she's at the counter at the thrift store, and she's all excited, and so church breaks out at the thrift store. Well, he calls me. He comes in Sunday morning. He's all excited. He goes, Pastor, I had this amazing event. Yes, I got a testimony. I said, you need to give that testimony. What, what, what happened? He goes, her left knee was healed in, from the wheelchair. I said, left knee. I wonder if Gil still has that left knee problem. Now, nobody else really knows all that but me. So anyway, long story short of that one, he gets here. He gives his testimony, and I said, we're going to do this. Um, I'd like all of our young people that just got trained to come up here, and I think there might have been about a dozen of them, little ones. And I said, now, anybody out in, the, in our congregation that has any issues with joints, why don't you raise your hand? So Gil looks over at Neil and Pastor David. He goes, he goes, so he raises his hand for his left knee to get healed. And little Anna Grace, blonde, pigtails, I think she was nine, goes over and, and I said, okay, kids, you see the hands up? Go lay hands on these adults out here. Little Anna Grace goes over to, he's sitting in the same place. And Gil couldn't remember and she couldn't remember, but it was something to the tune of, God, there's no pain in heaven. Would you heal him right now? And Gil said he felt fire go from his kneecap to his ankle and back up and could feel it burning. And as he got up, again, he doesn't react. Um, he gets up to tell us about Bible Islands and give his shoulder testimony. And he does this three times. Up and down, up and down, doing like, goes... Okay, now I have to also tell you that I've been healed in my left knee. Twice I've been here, and children have healed me. And uh, so he gets, this is when a prior president wasn't really great relationships with Israel, okay? It was Mr. Obama's time, right? And so there was a lot of question about what was the relationship, and are the Christians in America still for us in, in Israel? So Gil, who's pretty well known as an author and everything, had visited the 30-plus churches again. So he goes back to Israel, and he has an audience with Benjamin Netanyahu, the prime minister. And the prime minister says, are they still for us? What's your experience? He goes, yeah, they're for us. And by the way, I got healed twice in the church. He goes, really? And he gets the testimony because he wants to keep it, right? And so he tells the prime minister, and he says, would you then go... We're about, I want you to go speak to the IDF generals, our Israeli Defense Forces generals, and encourage them that they're still for us. And we had made contributions to, uh, I, I won't go into that. Anyway, so he goes to the generals and gives his testimony. And so a few years later, this is now three years later, when did the Bible Museum in D.C. open? Probably three years ago, something like that, right? Gil gets hired as the IT leader for all of the interactive displays that are at the Bible Museum. And Neil and I get invited to go there at the, at the prior opening. It was only like, and uh, it was amazing to be able to be with him, to hear his testimony, still telling it. And the Green family, who owns Hobby Lobby, the major donors have put that whole thing together for Bible. They give a lot of money to Christian organizations. And Neil and I walk into this hotel that there's no way that I would ever be able to stay in this hotel, but they put us up there, right? And uh, talk about favor. And um, we walk in, and the CFO of Hobby Lobby is in the foyer with Gil, and Gil says, hey, come on, come on, come on, come on. 
these are the guys I was telling you about when I got healed. And I'm like, what? <laughs> so it's, the reason I bring that all up is the connection with Derek Prince and the prophecy. When we got done and he shared his testimony, when Gil shared his testimony, David, my pastor friend, said, why don't you give an ironic blessing to this congregation? At which point Gil said, I can't give an ironic blessing. I'm not of the tribe of Levi. I'm from the tribe of Judah, which is the Judah blessing that will set their captivity free from Zephaniah. And the Lord just, it just hit me at that moment that is, is like, God, I believe you're fulfilling the prophecy that was spoken that they would come and they would find freedom at the seacoast and the cottages and they would free, be free from their captivity. Later, Gil came to some of our revival tent meetings here. We ran in North Carolina for several years. And I asked him, and I said, you know, Gil, you, you're preaching healing. He would, in fact, Neil had him come up and pray for the sick. Anyway, it is wild how God is blowing all the bubbles. And I just believe that Derek Prince's prophecy has yet to be fulfilled in North Carolina. But I believe it's still on God's agenda. So that's, that's my desire to see us uh, get together. So as we're gathering on Sunday evenings to pray for this upcoming election. I believe it is probably the most important election of our lifetime, that uh, the, the Lord's give us an opportunity to really pray and ask the Lord to, to put the right people in the right places for this and to give us an opportunity to move forward. So we'll be hand, having more of that, but I, I really appreciate uh, Terry taking time on Derek Prince because he obviously influenced and still influencing his, uh, his key leader from the ministry in Charlotte, um, when I was on um, Sid Roth's show, we, we, we kind of connected, and he came down and um, met with us and said, look, you guys do a lot of deliverance ministry as well. And so, did, you know, Derek did a lot of that. And so his ministry is still influencing millions of people worldwide. It's really an amazing testimony of what God does for someone who sells themselves out. So thanks, Terry. I appreciate it. I had uh, had wondering. I said, "Now, what are we going to do with that 15 minutes?" <laughs> Pastor Tom, he, he did it. Um, I hope this uh, exercises your faith, and I encourage you to listen to him. I'm telling you, there's no better speaker than Derek Prince. <laughs> I love to hear him talk, and I've listened to him hour after hour. Uh, he's just an awesome preacher, and uh, he simplifies some of the most difficult things. Let's all stand. We're going to go ahead and get ready to go here, but I want to pray for everybody. Lord, you know everybody here, individually, personally. You know what we're going through at this time. And Lord, there's no greater power on this earth than you. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for loving us. We thank you, Lord, that you forgive us for all of our sins. That all we have to do is ask you and you will forgive us. We confess, Lord, that we've not always done it right. But Lord, help us through our difficult times and make our rough places smooth. And no matter what happens to us, Lord, we give you the glory. 
for we know that you're with every one of us. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for all that you've done. In Jesus' name.